Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome at CC. Hello and welcome at one, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. The, the joy of working in, in this arena is you're constantly, you know, literally I'm constantly inspired by the filmmakers that I work with. And that is such a fortunate position. I mean, that's what, that's what gets me out of bed every morning, isn't it? And then, you know, by being so inspired by those filmmakers, all I want to do is sort of try and make the playing field as, as bountiful as possible for those folks and for those stories. And that's literally, that's what we're constantly thinking about. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 97. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, the Documentary Life podcast, and the Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. In the doc community, there are some very well-known names of organizations and festivals that we're all pretty well aware of or are associated with in some way. IDA, or the International Documentary Association, is certainly one of them, and we had IDA's Simon Kilmery on the show last year talking about the organization. Others that come to mind might be the Sundance Documentary Film Program or the Sundance Documentary Fund or Center for Independent Documentary, CID, or Doc NYC, the annual Doc Film Festival held in New York City. That's actually coming up here next month. Now, often these festivals or organizations can seem a little intimidating or pie-in-the-sky hopes that only a, you know, a select few of us can ever be associated with. In some cases, this may be true, like Sundance, for example. In other cases, organizations or festivals might actually be far more approachable than we fully realize. And this is certainly the case for Doc Society, or you might be more familiar with its previous name, Brit Doc, an organization that is based out of both the UK and the US, and is well known for being supportive of and connecting Doc filmmakers from around the world. Among a host of other programs, Doc Society is responsible for the likes of Good Pitch, a program that brings together doc filmmakers with foundations, NGOs, philanthropists, brands, and media around leading social and environmental issues in order to create coalitions and campaigns that are good for all partners, good for the films, good for society. Doc Society was also responsible for launching the Impact Film Guide and Toolkit, a free online resource created to help anyone working with film to make an impact on society. Doc Society has assisted on hundreds of well-known docs like Steve James's The Interrupters, the Academy Award-nominated Helen Back Again, and this year's Shirkers. And I wanted to talk with Doc Society, and I wanted to bring them to you because I know that they do great things. But I also know that sometimes these bigger organizations can feel, like I said, nearly unapproachable. But I've had the sense that Doc Society isn't like that. And sure enough, when I reached out and had a conversation with one of the founders of Doc Society, Maxine Franklin, I quickly came to realize not only how integral they are to the Doc community, but also just how accessible they are to the community. 
And so because of this, I'm very happy to bring today's episode to you. You're going to hear a lot about the power of documentary and a lot about the ways in which an organization like Doc Society can help you harness that power and get it out to the people and organizations that can help you not only with the making of your film, but then get your film out to the people who will most benefit from seeing your film afterwards. Thank you again for joining us here today on episode number 97. We are inching ever closer to that century mark here on TDL. It's exciting times indeed. We'll be right back with our conversation with Maxine Franklin from Doc Society right after this. Lately, we here at the Documentary Life Podcast have been really ramping up our free live webinar events. It's a great way to learn the aspects of doc filmmaking from the experts in the field, as well as engage directly with the expert in a live Q&A setting. We've already had some great sessions so far, and our one coming up on December 4th will be no different. A few short weeks ago, it was episode 94, we had on the show acclaimed doc filmmaker and author John Reese. John is the author of Think Outside the Box Office, a book that details his and others' experiences with independent film distribution, a subject that John has since become recognized as a veritable expert on. Not surprisingly, this was an episode that was pretty popular, speaking to a lot of the DIY sensibilities of you doc lifers. And so we've invited him to host a live webinar with us to further explore the subject of documentary distribution, to be followed by a live Q&A session in which you get to ask any and all of your pressing distro questions, of which I know that there are many. I get your emails and I see your posts in the TDL Community Facebook group. There always seems to be a desire to break the code of distribution of our films. If you'd like to attend this live event, which happens on Tuesday, December 4th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in the U.S., simply go to thedocumentarylife.com to sign up. I'll post a link up in the show notes for this episode, and you can also find links to it throughout the Documentary Life website. Attending and participating in the live event is free to all listeners of the program. You just need to make sure and sign up by, again, going to thedocumentarylife.com. This is going to be a great opportunity for you, Doc Lifer to engage directly with a film distribution expert. So get your questions ready and sign up today. the pleasure of bringing Maxine Franklin of uh, formerly Brit Doc, now Doc Society, onto the documentary Life Today. Maxine, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you. Thank you for having me. Generally, what we do, Maxine, at the outset when we bring on guests is we try to get some context for the conversation in terms of your background. I'd love to hear what your connection is to documentary film and when and where that might have began. Good question. I think... I think I came to it primarily, I started out my career um, working as a researcher on a music TV chart show and um, band booker, which was brilliant fun in your early 20s in London, <laughs> um, yeah. but it wasn't, didn't make me feel that substantial in my core. 
Um, and at the, <laughs> at the same time, I was working night shifts at um, a homeless centre as well in the UK and kind of wanted to do something that I felt had sort of more value to, to the larger world that I lived in and to sort of, you know, the, the problems that we constantly see around us. Um, so I made um, a shift and sort of quit my job in music and had to sort of take a, a, a steep learning curve um, into the world of documentary. So I did that via going and working um, in the documentary department at Channel 4 Television. Ah, uh, so it was Channel 4 where you first started out. Exactly. So that was my first sort of foray into, into sort of immersing myself into the documentary world in a professional capacity. And what did you think of documentary at that time? I mean, were you getting into film or were you very specific? I want this to be a documentary track. I was very specific about wanting it to be documentary. And sort of actually at that time, sort of documentaries and Channel 4, particularly in the UK, were still um, pretty innovative. Um, you know, they were making really meaningful content. Um, and I was genuinely sort of inspired by the stories that I was seeing on television. There was one that um, stood out for me about um, a homeless gentleman who has mental health issues. Um, I think it was called The Life of Brian. It was part of the cutting edge strand on television. Um, and that really resonated with me. And those were the sorts of films and those were the sorts of stories that I wanted to be sharing, you know, with the, with the, wider, with the wider UK. Um, so that's, yeah, that's definitely, I was definitely about the documentary. And Maxine, to give us a, a, a maybe a, a better context or some understanding for our listeners who are not based out of the UK, and the UK is our second biggest base, the US being the first, but we're downloaded in over 140 countries at this point. Can you give us some idea what Channel 4 is about or what it at least was about at that time uh -huh. and where documentary um, fit into their scheme of things? So back in the day, Channel 4, I think it launched in like 1981. Um, and this is obviously pre-digital when we didn't have that many um, broadcasters. And it was originally sort of a much more youth-oriented channel compared to the BBC and ITV. It was an alternative. It, you know, everything that it did was trying to be um, different and new and sort of lend voice to, to sort of voices that we weren't used to seeing on yeah, television right, right. and I think it continued to doing that I'm, I'm not so convinced it does that anymore although I don't live in the UK so I don't watch it um but sort of by the time we were leaving you know the part of the reason we left is because we felt the kinds of films that we wanted to be making and the kinds of films that Channel 4 wanted to be transmitting had sort of parted ways <laughs> but in its heyday, it was uh, it was a bloody great place to be. Absolutely, absolutely. And we've had a few other guest filmmakers on the program who have, um, you know, more recently had some of their shows on Channel 4. So getting a little bit more of that <clears throat> context and understanding of Channel 4 is very helpful. So Maxine, not unlike our mutual friend Simon Kilmery uh, of, of IDA, you have a very impressive list of executive producer credits. How does one accumulate these executive producer credits and I'm curious why there other there aren't other credits that are listed um, on, on something like your IMDB page and I guess what I'm getting at here is obviously you have experience in doc film why are those not listed as opposed to obviously these impressive uh, executive producer credits I think the way that we've set up doc society um, is we made a 
decision, a collective decision, myself and my co-directors, um, Jess Search, Beedie Finzi, and now um, Sandra Whippham, that whilst we've always been funding, directly funding films, we didn't want to make it a contractual obligation on the filmmaker to give us any form of credit apart from, um, you know, the organisation or the company credit, which mm, we do. Right, right. Um, but we didn't make it um, a requirement that we had to have personal EP credits. And that's something that has, has stayed throughout uh, our main journal fund. And um, so basically it's at the filmmaker's discretion if they want to give us an EP credit. And usually that's dependent on how much we are, how much time we're spending in the edit suite with them, if I'm honest. Um, so, you know, the films where I'm listed as an EP is not just through helping fund them, but it's actually about spending quality time with the filmmakers, helping them evolve the narrative and the story and spending time in the edit with them, helping them, you know, towards distribution, towards their impact goals. It's a much larger body of work. Yeah, yeah. And obviously we'll get into that with Brit Doc and Doc Society because that all fits in there. It's it's actually helpful to hear that explanation of, of executive producer because I think a lot of a, a lot of our initial idea uh, and preconceptions of executive producer is okay, that well that's who threw a bunch of money to the project. And yeah. it's actually certainly in your guys' case far more involved involved than that. And that being said, why don't we get right into it? So, so Brit Doc is who I had been familiar with for quite some time. And you were a found one of the founding directors of Brit Doc. Tell us who and what Brit Doc was and who they were serving. And um, when we originally set up, as I sort of alluded to earlier, it was around there was a sort of, you know, Je myself and Jess were both working at Channel 4 and um, Beedie Finzi, who is our co-founder, was an independent filmmaker that we were working with. So, you know, we were funding her projects and, and very proud to be, to be showing them on Channel 4. And, and we ran a department called Independent Film and Video, which garnered amazing press reviews and fantastic um, awards, but very little viewership. <laughs> Largely because we were like, <laughs> at night, but still... Um, so we sort of decided that, you know, we did that thing whereby, you know, you you look at the landscape within which you're working, you look at the community with which, you know, that you, you want to be serving, that you're trying to serve and work out how those two things can sort of sit together in the best way for everybody. And it quickly became apparent to us that actually working inside the channel wasn't the best way for us to be serving independent feature you know documentary filmmakers or first-time documentary filmmakers and actually that we we were looking sort of at our sort of cousins in the US and looking at people like Sundance looking at um, creative capital looking even at South by Southwest mm. and trying to work out sort of how they were modeling what they were doing and what we could be doing better in the UK and so we sort of cherry-picked a bunch of those things and um, and decided that it made more sense for us to start a foundation, which amazingly Channel 4 um, saw the value in and gave us, they were our um, only funder for the first three years. Oh, wow. So th this was this was uh, very much supported by Channel 4 at, at the Absolutely. inception. Okay. At its inception. We were basically, we outsourced ourselves. So from being a department, yeah, right. <laughs> we, we went outside of the channel and actually we had total, you know, um, independence in terms of our editorial judgments. Wow, brilliant. And, and the only thing that we had to do was that um, should Channel 4 want to show any of their films, they could do so for a um, nominal one pound fee. 
<laughs> because we'd, we'd already funded them anyway. That's right. Through the foundation. But it also meant that Channel 4 didn't have to show the films if they didn't want to. Um, so we sort of, that's, that's how we were trying to support the British documentary community. And also because we could see that, you know, internationally, independent docs and feature docs were thriving and that wasn't quite taking off in the UK in the same way. And we wanted to bring that into the UK. So very quickly we went from not just funding films because it was obvious that we can only support a very, you know, a handful of filmmakers in that way. And we wanted to have a broader cultural shift. And so we started a festival that was specifically for independent feature docs and called Brit Doc, which we brought in um, commissioners from, you know, across across the US and, you know, internationally more broadly um, and filmmakers so that we could actually try and sort of re-inspire the British community of amazing filmmakers to, to make work that had um, an international contribution. You did mention first-time filmmakers. I'm curious who you had in mind or what types of films that you had in mind that you wanted to help support. To be honest with you, at that point, it was... You know, our, our mandate when we set out, so those first three years, was specifically British filmmakers. So it was it was specifically around inspiring, you know, because British filmmakers are amazing and they have always had the fortune of being able to hone their craft through um, a very supportive UK television um, system. And actually, you know, what we were trying to do was saying there is a world beyond our television system that your films can really sort of take the stage on as well. So we were just trying to inspire that level of ambition, I think, in, in British filmmakers full stop and just opening them up to, like, not many British filmmakers were going to Sundance at that point in time. This was sort of like, you know, 14 years ago. You mean there are British filmmakers outside of Mike Lee? <laughs> I know, who knew, right? <laughs> yeah, who knew exactly? <laughs> but go ahead, please. <laughs> um, so we were just trying to sort of, like, open open some doors and sort of like, you know, to, to bring to bring that sort of ambition into our filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I would say, you know, very quickly sort of, we sort of became much more global. Um, and I would say that that actually was always, in many ways, you know, the, the way that we became to do BritDoc, which was again, looking at sort of what the community needed and how we can best serve it, is we just sort of, you know, very quickly started looking more broadly than our own shores. And once once we'd done BritDoc for three years, um, Sheffield DocFest really stepped up its game and started being much more international in its in its focus, much around around you know um, features and not just television. Um, and so we you know realised that we no longer needed to do BritDoc because actually it already served its purpose in terms of upping everybody else's game. And um, so then we did the same thing that we've always done, which is look around us and go actually also what 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 would be useful for us to do next? What what else does the community need? Um, and that was by that point, it was just in these shores and beyond. And how can we try and serve that? So I think that's always been our ethos. And did that then sort of I, I feel like that makes it's a natural progression at that point to I don't know if it's you guys would call it a name change or rebranding or what. But is that where Docs is that how Doc society happened then this idea to to make the reach broader than than simply the UK? I'd say actually sort of. The first thing that we did that made the reach broader was um, a program that we run called The Good Pitch. Mm, of course. Which is sort of around bringing social justice filmmakers together with, you know, partners that can use them um, to sort of change change the dial on issues. And that's The Good Pitch, which has always been branded as The Good Pitch and not branded as Brit Dog. So it never had that sort of, you know, the, the British 
home idea. No, and never, that has yeah. all that has been global for many, many years. Um, and we were doing we've been doing that in New York for ten, I think possibly ten years, nine or ten years. And um, and it now sort of has a complete life of its own. Um, we've had editions in um, in Indonesia, in South America, in Kenya. It goes it goes everywhere now. Well, and I think um, this is this is worthy of absolutely further exploration because Good Pitch has been known in the doc community for quite some time now. It's a, it's a pretty big deal for independent doc makers. Tell us a little bit more. Let, let's dive a little bit deeper into Good Pitch. What that looks like, what the events are, who you're bringing together. Um, to you know, in in in, in terms of networking, um, and introducing with the doc filmmaker, and then how a doc filmmaker gets involved with Good Pitch. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose Good Pitch, you know, is a riff on the traditional um, documentary forum, I would say. But sort of reduced it so rather than having a filmmaker pitch their idea to sort of 50 commissioning editors that may or may not be interested in it, we, we've, we, you know, the, the, the process is dedicated to films that are specifically around social justice issues and that have tangible goals or ambitions of things that they can change. And then we curate a eight person, think of it as like the perfect dinner table conversation um, around one specific issue area. So we curate a table of eight people who are at the sort of <clears throat> pinnacle of working on that issue that might not work, naturally work together on an issue either, uh, but that are all interested in sort of shifting the dial on a certain subject area that that film speaks to. And we spend six months um, both working with the filmmaking team to, to really hone their outreach goals and working with, you know, calling out to everybody that's working on that issue area, making sure that we've got exactly the right people at the table, not just the right people at the table, but people that we've already been discussing the project with. We know that they're going to say positive things, even if they don't want to directly get involved with it. It's, it's going to be a positive conversation. It's not going to be negative and it's not just going to be a one word no. There is going to be a positive, a lively conversation at the table around both the subject area and also broadly, how film can work with Agents for Change. Um, and then you've got, you know, at the same time, you've got a room of 400 people where there are plenty of other people who are potentially also interested in your project. And, you know, in the last few years alone, particularly in the US, I have to say, it's amazing how, you know, the folks in the audience, not just the people at the table, but we have queues of folks lining up at the mic to talk to these filmmakers. It's like the filmmakers are the rock stars of the day. It's it's an amazing thing to see. And, you know, you can have pledges of anything from from money to pledges of networks to pledges of cinemas. You know, we've had somebody pledge a truck because that was one of the needs of the, you know, of the um, campaign needs. So all sorts of things can be pledged at that table and then beyond. And, you know, we have people coming over, giving us postcards, offering, you know, 50,000 to projects, but they didn't want to say it at the table. And when you when you have that as a live event of all of that positivity, it becomes a snowball effect. So everybody gets really heightened and it really sort of elevates, elevates the work. And then, you know, that's just the beginning of it. And then, you know, of course, we would then try and support the filmmaker to make sure that they can optimize on all of those gifts, you know, all of those pledges so that when the films come out, which is oftentimes still at least a year away, because films, you know, the, the camp, 
building campaign partnerships takes time. So, you know, and then you really see those things taken to effect. So Maxine, this sounds absolutely amazing and brilliant, um, but I need to have a better understanding of, I mean, so I have a film. How do I come to you with my (laughs) film and say, this sounds great. Can you help me pitch this? How, like, how do you... How do, how do I present my film to you or how are you selecting the filmmakers to work with? It's slightly, it, change, it shifts slightly for each event. As I said earlier, we've, the, the Good Pitch program is completely global now. Um, we work with partners across the world who request, come in and say, we'd like to bring Good Pitch to our territory, to our region. Um, so, you know, DocuBox in Kenya and various different organizations and so those global entities will select local filmmakers that's how they'll they'll do their own piece and for in the u.s we do two different things we have good pitch local which is we've done events in detroit in dallas and we're doing an event in philly in december 18 and and that's um, a slightly sort of smaller smaller event but no less large in ambition. And are the filmmakers around, local to those towns, or the filmmakers exactly? The filmmakers are the filmmakers are local to those towns. The the film subjects are local to those um, states, um, and that was very much in sort of in response to the 2016 elections. I'll bet. Um, which was actually sort of you know the community again. It was about what the community was asking for. And, you know, everybody was saying, actually, we need to go local. We need to be sort of like working much more closely with our local filmmakers and local change makers. So Good Pitch Local is in response to that. And then Good Pitch New York um, happens. And that's much more of a national event. So, you know, the stories can be national and the the, the folks that attend are national. Um, And all of those things, though, are open, open application. So there's a revolving application or uh, there must be deadlines and I assume they're all up on the Doc Society website. They are all on our website. Um, Everything is just, you know, an online application. All of the deadlines are up there. I think, I don't think there's anything live currently, but, um, but yeah, that, that's where we put everything. All of our, most of our funds are through online application and all of the good pitches are as well. Okay, great. And 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 we don't have to get super deep into good pitch. We could easily do a whole program on good pitch, but I, I will ask one more question just for clarification. So for instance, for example, my wife and I, uh, my wife and I have a film that we've been working on for four years called Elvis of Cambodia. It primarily takes place and deals with Cambodia. My wife's from the UK. I'm from the US. How do we know who to approach to if we wanted to apply for a good pitch? Huh. I would say. <laughs> Good one, right? <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, without knowing very much about your project. Yes, of course. Um, I would say if it was a film, it, it's irrespective in some, many ways where the two of you are from. It's more about where the film is set and where you think the change might happen. Mm. So if the film is set in Cambodia, but actually what you're looking at is you want to make, there needs to be a shift through, I don't know, you want to get the UN into the room then you would apply for the New York Good Pitch because that's where we can bring the change makers. So I would say look at it much more around sort of where your change makers are, um, unless it's a local, which of course then it is specific to local filmmakers and local subjects. Well, and our in our film in particular is actually while the the sub while a lot of it takes place in Cambodia, it would be more relevant in some ways to the sort of the diaspora. So Cambodian yeah. Cambodians around the world. So. 
Awesome. Okay, that that's very helpful to understand that process. And thank you for going into into in depth with, with good pitch. It is it is a very important element that's out there that doc filmmakers can be taking advantage of. So it's helpful to have a better understanding of that. So I have some exciting news to share with you, Doc Lifer. On Friday, November 23rd of this year, the documentary life will be hitting a milestone. We'll be two and a half years into this incredible journey and posting our 100th episode of the podcast. I know, it doesn't seem possible, but nonetheless, here we are at the century mark. Not surprisingly, this has given Steph and I pause to look back on the documentary life, as well as to look to the future of our own documentary lives. It is because of this that we have decided that our 100th episode will complete the first season of the TDL podcast, and it will allow us to take a short hiatus and return next year to start season two. Now, that does not mean that we won't be providing content for you, however. We're still going to be supporting your doc filmmaking goals, just on other platforms. We'll be building out our blog with the topics, tips, and know-how that you've been asking for and providing you with other valuable resources and insight. And, very importantly, we'll be finishing our own documentary film, Elvis of Cambodia, and documenting the experience to share with you as we do. We want to invite you into the process of the making of our film, so we'll be sending you updates via the TDL Weekly Newsletter, the TDL Blog, our social media platforms, as well as our YouTube channel. We want you to be experiencing firsthand the making of our documentary film. You'll have an opportunity to learn from our experiences, and we'd also love to hear any suggestions or encouragement you might have for us. If you'd like to be kept up to date, you should definitely subscribe to our weekly newsletter, which you can do by visiting the documentarylife.com website. It's going to take some getting used to not creating this show for you every week. You know how much I love doing it and connecting with you guys. But I assure you, we'll be back bigger and more badass than ever before. We can't wait for you to see what we'll have in store for you for season two of the show. And make sure that you're here for the season finale, episode 100. Steph and I will be talking all things the documentary life and giving you a look into what we have planned for the next several months. So until then, continue to enjoy season one. Know that we have an incredible amount of gratitude for you, Doc Lifer, and we'll be talking with you soon. Let's talk about Doc Society now. Doc Society, or formerly Brit Doc, how and when and why did the name change come about, Maxine? So we changed the name, gosh, I think about two years ago. Um, and it's something that we've been playing with the idea of changing for some time. Um, as I said, you know, we, we, whilst our focus had been on British filmmakers for the first three years, I think probably from... Well, from the, from the moment we started working with Puma, that was always an international development fund back in the day. With Puma, Puma.Creative? Um, yes. Okay. Exactly, exactly. And um, so we've been working globally for a long, long time. But there's also that thing of we were still a young company, um, a young foundation, and there, we had you know slowly got brand recognition. Um, and that's something that you don't want to let go of easily oh man no way yeah <laughs> so you know there was i think you know whilst we've been taught you know brit doc hadn't felt relevant to us internally for a long long time yeah right um, there's been a lot of sort of pushback from um 
people that we'd asked about changing our name and everybody was like, no, 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 but you know, everybody loves you as Brit Doc, everybody knows you as Brit Doc. And I was like, sure, but it doesn't really speak to what we do anymore. And, but we were fine with that. And, you know, as I say, there is an element of brand recognition. We were still a young, young company. So we had to make sure that we were sort of evolving. Um, and then I think actually in many ways, you know, internationally with the rise of nationalism, it just didn't feel appropriate to have a country name in our, um, in our name anymore. Right. So let's talk a little bit more uh, at, in depth about what else Doc Society offers, because you guys offer filmmakers a, a lot. So I want to get to as much as we can. Um, there is, let's talk about some of the various grants and, uh, and funds that you guys currently offer. Yeah, I would say um, right now, and this is something that also constantly changes, um, we have the Birth of Journalism Fund, which is specifically for films that have sort of journalism at their heart. So it's where the filmmaker is actually sort of, you know, really unpicking something new. Then we have the BFI Film Fund. So we very recently took over the British um, National Funding for Documentaries, um, which we're doing in partnership with the BFI. And that's um, the BFI Doc Society Fund, right? Okay. Exactly, yes. And that one is specifically for British filmmakers. Got it. The, the Journalism Fund is open for completely, you know, absolutely global filmmakers. And that was the birth of Doc Society Journalism Fund. Yes, okay. exactly. And then we have most recently, we've just launched um, a fund called New Perspectives, which yes. is a developed fund. Um, and that's with our partners at the Perspective Foundation. Okay. Um, and that's for again, development, right? Exactly. That's specifically for development. And I mean, you know, development in documentary is pretty loose. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Like at almost any stage. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we're obviously, you know, we're long in the tooth enough to know that. Um, But again, that's another one that, you know, in an ideal world, we'd be looking to support sort of, you know, 50% global South filmmakers um, and also specifically looking at sort of representation and sort of who's telling the story. Um, and then we work with um, another foundation called Threshold, who we consult for, um, so present sort of a selection of films to them once a year, um, and then they sort of, you know, fund directly, and we're just involved with the selection process. Yeah, they, I think those are those are the ones that are current, and as I say, we're constant, you know, like filmmakers, we're constantly, you know, out trying to fundraise for, for new for new opportunities to give to filmmakers. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, I, I, I know exactly what it feels like to constantly feel like you're pitching. Um. Yeah, right. <laughs> you certainly do. If you're anything like me, you appreciate a good checklist. I've got all kinds of checklists in my life. Every night I'm creating my to-do list for the next day. Whenever we go camping, I have a camping checklist. Whenever I go out on a shoot, I have a checklist with all of the gear, shots, and B-roll that I'll need. So one day, I thought to myself, why not some kind of checklist for doc filmmakers? And so I came up with one. It's called the Documentary Filmmakers Essential Checklist, and it's completely free to any doc filmmaker who wants to learn the essential aspects of making a documentary film in the modern day industry. I am all about empowering documentary filmmakers, and this course does just that. It is my sincere hope that this free course will help make your doc film's journey truly the exhilarating and rewarding experience that it can and should be. Enroll today for free by going to thedocumentarylife.com courses.
Now, Maxine, one of the things that I would love to hear from you about, and, and it's something that listeners and and other doc filmmakers like myself, you know, I think are challenged by, or or maybe we have this preconceived notion of, and I'll use IDA or Sundance as an example, um, these bigger organizations, sometimes we are intimidated by the sheer um sort of size or the prestige of an organization and it might make us less hesitant to kind of reach out and i know that um I, and I, I don't know this because anyone from IDA has said, said this, but I know this because other doc filmmakers have approached me with it, and my listeners have said this as, as well. They're less likely to reach out to an IDA because the 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 thought is that, well, they're for West Coast or LA-specific filmmakers, or they're this really big, ginormous organization. Why would they care about my film from, you know, small-town Indiana? So I'm curious if you feel like you're aware of that with doc society and if so what are you doing to make your organization approachable to really any filmmakers uh, from around the world i would say yes we are aware of it and i would say that you know in in many ways the way that we're trying to do it is by working with partners if you're looking at the global picture we're trying to work with partners on the ground and so you know again people like docubox who sort of filmmakers can approach them understand who we are and then feel more comfortable approaching us. We've got a pretty good history of working with filmmakers from the global south. So I think we're sort of, you know, we're managing that sort of carefully, I hope. And um, in the US, I think Good Pitch Local has really helped with that, actually. Um, and it really does change the dynamic, I think, when you go into somebody else's community as opposed to filmmakers from those regions, you know, coming to New York and pitching at you and you, you know, it, it shifts the dynamic. Um, and I've met some amazing filmmakers by, by doing Good Pitch Local and actually going out and yeah, work, working with filmmakers for two or three days. Um, and then I think also, you know, festivals like Camden International Film Festival is another great place because of the way that they're set up. It's much less intimidating for filmmakers. It's, you know, the way they pitch is in front of an audience of, you know, local community members, it's not an industry audience quite so much. And I think that really helps for how filmmakers can approach, you know, the panellists. And I think that's, you know, another great place. And then <laughs> on, a, on a slightly lighter note, I, you know, I like that BritDoc and now Doc Society, we've always done, um, or whenever we can do it, do an open house party at Sundance. So oh, any yeah. filmmakers that are at Sundance, it's not guest list. <laughs> <laughs> We're very democratic. And, yet, you know, and if, be- maybe it should be if, if anybody's on a guest list anywhere, then you're not invited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're like the opposite of a guest list. Yeah. Um, we actually do. We make hand um, handmade invites. We don't even send out an email because what we don't want to do is like forget somebody and then go, oh, no, you know, it becomes hierarchical. And the only way we do it is we take out, we make handwritten invites, take them out with us when we get to the ground on Sundance and just hand them out to folks. And that's to anybody. And it's sort of like, yeah, bring anybody you like. You know, we don't care. It's it's completely open house. Um, you know, whenever we host parties, it's normally us. Um, it's all, you know, us, my, myself, my co-directors and all of our staff that are behind the bar serving. So it's like, you know, it's like, this is what we're here for. We're here to serve you. And we understand that actually that, you know, it can feel intimidating to have to approach us, but when you see us like pulling you a pint behind the bar, yeah. hopefully that we can break down some of that at least. Um, and you know, yeah. So we we try and make it as democratic as as we can um, by being you know out on the road and being 
and trying to be non-hierarchical. But of course, I totally understand that, you know, even as I say that, that's saying, well, you've got to be at Sundance to go to the party anyway. <laughs> well, of and course. That's <laughs> that's <laughs> I did come to mind pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I love it. Yeah. I love it. That's fantastic. Now, there is a downloadable book on your website that, you know, that I, I went through and it really kind of goes much more into depth in uh, a lot of what we've talked about here. And it's the book Impact of Art. Now, I'll put a direct link up to that in our show notes um, but maybe you could help us understand a little bit more what's in that book and maybe why, as doc filmmakers, we should go download that. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I would say in some ways that the impact of art is, is probably a few years old. It was almost like um, a yearbook in terms of, you know, these, these are the things that we're thinking about. These are the ways that we're trying to address issues that we're seeing in the field. Um, but in some ways, it's... In fact, it's probably even slightly out of date right now. I would say that the more useful things that we've currently got out in the world for filmmakers um, is the Impact Field Guide and the Safe and Secure website. So, ah, right, of course. And in fact, we, we've talked about the Impact Field Guide uh earlier i can't remember exactly when we did but last year we were talking with an impact producer and so we had a link to the impact field guide up from our site yeah yeah because i think those sites are actually things that again you know we've we've made specifically for the community and with the community and um, and they are completely free resources and um, the impact field guide has just i think it's just been updated we're just finishing updating it um it's um, available in Spanish. We're doing an Arabic version. Um, but it's sort of, you know, for folks that are looking at creating impact with their films, it's an amazing resource in terms of all of the things that you need to be thinking about and that you should be thinking about, different ways that you can look at, um, you know, that you can look at change, whether it be top down or bottom up, and sort of like how your film can fit into that and sort of brilliant case studies across a sort of broad spectrum of film over the last five years. And I think that actually is a way more useful resource than yeah. our book about ourselves. Okay, great. No, no, that's totally fine. I, I, I know the Impact Field Guide, and it is a great resource. So we and will I'd link also, to that again. Yeah, and I'd also just point people towards the Safe and Secure website as well, which is a more recent resource. But um, you know, if you, you know, as we all do, you know, independent filmmakers are the ones that do tend to sort of like throw themselves out there onto the front line. You know, whether they've got funding or not. Um, and we as, as as funders and as film partners have a responsibility to our filmmakers to make sure that they're safe in these, you know, in these in these areas. And, and that doesn't necessarily just need to be um, a war zone in the Congo. It can be, you know, in the, the US itself is becoming more and more dangerous. Protest, as we know, are becoming more and more dangerous. It's all the things that you need to be thinking about to make sure that you're at least going into these um, situations with your eyes wide open and you're like setting yourself up for success rather than failure. Um, and it's, you know, risk analysis, it's digital security, um, and it's also, you know, links out to a whole bunch of training resources. And so I would say that, you know, anybody that's making, you know, journalism is under threat right now. Anybody that's making, out in the world, making films that are sort of around important subjects of our time, then I would definitely be directing them to the Safe and Secure website. Amen, sister. And can you give us that 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 direct URL? It's safeandsecure.film. Safeandsecure.film. Yeah. Okay, got it. So 
go to safeandsecure.film. Maxine, this has been a, an enlightening conversation. Very, very helpful. I'm so happy to be speaking with somebody formerly of Brit Doc, now of Doc Society. What, if anything, have we missed um, in this conversation, whether it's about Doc Society, whether it's, um, it's about your own Doc life? Let us know. What, have we missed anything? In a, in a different conversation, I'd be having an, a chat about sort of how, 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 how we sort of collectively work together, both, you know, filmmakers, nonprofits, equity partners, broadcasters, all of those things, like looking at the wider, the wider industry. But in many ways, I do feel like that's a conversation rather than a think piece. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they, they, but those are all the things that are currently on my mind, on our mind at Dog Society. Um, you know, and also sort of, again, looking at representation in, in filmmaking, um, both in the US and beyond. Yeah, I mean, the, the joy of working in, in this arena is you're constantly, you know, literally, I'm constantly inspired by the filmmakers yeah. that I work with. Yeah, yeah. And you that and is both. such a it's fortunate so cool. position. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what that's what gets me out of bed every morning, isn't it? And then, you know, by being so inspired by those filmmakers, all I want to do is sort of try and make the playing field as as bountiful as possible for those for those folks and for those stories. And that's literally that's what we're constantly thinking about. So if you, you or any of your listeners have thoughts about how they'd like to see things shifting, then we'd love to hear that, too. So happy to hear that, Maxine. It's it's wonderful to have a, a Maxine Franklin and Doc Society out there in the community helping and working for us. Maxine, thank you for agreeing to be on the program. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Chris. Don't forget, if you're interested in a guide to help you navigate the fundamental aspects of doc filmmaking, the things that every doc filmmaker should know, then get our free doc filmmaking course, The Documentary Filmmaker's Essential Checklist, by going to thedocumentarylife.com courses. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next episode.